Okay. Guys, um, does anyone know what Torah portion we read yesterday? So, we are continuing our journey through the Torah. Michael, you missed our introduction the past two weeks, dude. But uh, I got to catch you up on a one-on-one. You got to listen to the recordings. But we're going through the Torah from the beginning, and we're trying to get a glimpse into some of the messages, um, especially with the focus on the mystical, the spiritual side, the Kabbalistic side a little bit. But uh, this week we're going to go just with maybe just the simple, simple explanation, which I think is incredibly profound. In this week's Parsha, Parsha's Lech Lecha, God speaks for the very first time to the very first Jew. And who is that first Jew? Abraham. Abraham, Abraham, the first Jew. First time God speaks to the first Jew, I believe there has to be a message here that is not just relevant back then, 3,500 years ago, but just as, as relevant today in our own life. We believe that the Torah is forever. It's not just telling us a history book. It's just not tell. It's not just telling us stories. It's speaking directly to us. We spoke about all the levels that the Torah works on. That it's the DNA of reality. We spoke of the names of God that are hidden in the Torah. We spoke about many different levels. But today, I just want to speak on the basic level. The Torah is speaking to us in our mission in our life as Jews. Okay, so I want to share with you that first message of God speaking to the first Jew, and let's try to break it apart together. Okay, this is participatory, so I really want your feedback here. Ladies and gentlemen, please look at the chat. Did it go through? You guys see that? Okay. Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha means, literally, Lech means go, and Lecha means to yourself or for yourself. Is the first two words that God speaks to Abraham. Abraham is 75 years old. We know nothing about him. Zero. We have no idea who he is, except that he's born in a place called Ur Kazdim, which is in Iraq, present-day Iraq. And he uh, last week, at the end of last week's parsha, it says that he left Iraq and went towards the land of Canaan, which is Israel. He crossed through deserts and the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, and he ended up in a place called Haran, which is in Syria. And he settled in Syria. It says he did not make it to Canaan. He did not make it to the land of Israel. And in this week's Parsha, God speaks to him. He says, go to yourself from your land, from your birthplace, and from your father's house, the land that I will show you. People, everyone, put on your Talmudic thinking hats. What are some questions that you might have on this verse? What's going on here? What's strange about it? What's missing? Let me hear some ideas. Everyone see the verse in the chat? Okay, someone throw something up. Michael. Yeah, where's he going? Great question. The most important thing is missing from the, from the thing. Like this is God telling Abraham basically to go to Israel, but he doesn't tell him. Great question. What else? Yeah. 
or and go for yourself is also equally strange, right? What does that mean? Right? What's going on there? Good. What else? Look at the order of the words. If I were giving you GPS instructions to leave your house and go to Israel, what would I tell you to do? Someone give us some GPS instructions to go to Israel. Okay, before we get on the plane, what's step number one? Make it really simple. I've never left my house before. I don't know how to get to the airport. Open the door. Good. And do what? Okay. So what's strange about the instructions that God's giving Abraham? Okay, good. And why is that weird? Exactly, right? If I want to give you GPS instructions to go to Israel, I would say leave your house, then drive out of your neighborhood, exit the city limits, get to the airport, and leave the country. But these instructions are opposite. Leave your land, then leave your neighborhood, and then leave your house. Okay, so that's another major problem. Now, last but not least, the biggest problem of all, I'm going to repeat, and let's see who can come up with this problem. Last week's Parsha, the end of last week's Torah portion, says Abraham was born in a place called ur Kazdim, which is in Iraq, and he left with his whole family from the land he was born in on his way to the land of Israel, and they stopped off in Syria, and they ended up settling there. Anyway. Suddenly comes this week's Parsha and God says, leave what? The place he already left. He left already. He's on train. He's in transit. He's basically like, let's just go back to our metaphor. You're on the way to Israel. You have a stopover in Paris. You're changing flights. And then suddenly you get a message from your mother. Leave home immediately. Get out of the United States. Go to Israel. You're like, Mom, I'm in Paris. You knew that. I just called you a few minutes ago. So what's going on here? Why is the Torah telling Abraham to leave his home and his birthplace and his father's house if the Torah already told us a minute, literally a minute before, like one sentence before. It's just the page before it in the book, right? But in the Torah scroll, it's like literally an inch before it. He just told us that he left his house. Okay, you guys with me with the questions? Good? We're all on the same page? So let's begin to unpack this and try to get, additionally, the question we have to ask ourselves is, what's the message for us? How is this a message for all generations of what it means to be a Jew? We have a concept in Judaism that everything goes according to the beginning. In the beginning of a thing is literally like the DNA of that thing. We talked about this a few weeks ago in Kabbalah, that first spark of an idea. 
is like literally like an insight that contains all the parts of the future is already encoded in the beginning. So this first message to the first Jew has a has something in it for all the future generations for all of time. So the Torah tells us the actually the Talmud explains that there's a lot about Abraham we don't know. We know nothing about his early childhood and there's a lot of stories in the Talmud that explain to us how Abraham became Abraham and I want to share with you a few of those. There's actually a debate amongst the um amongst the commentaries on the Torah and the Talmud about how old Abraham was when he came to the conclusion that there was one God. So according to basically all opinions, Abraham's father was actually an idol maker. He wasn't just an idol worshiper. He was actually the guy that made the idols. And so Abraham grew up in a, in a society where people worshiped many gods. Now, if you guys weren't in my uh, level one um, sessions. So we do have to basically dispel one misunderstanding. Judaism does not believe in one God. You guys familiar with that idea? What did Abraham bring to the world? What is monotheism? But what is monotheism? Is monotheism from a Jewish perspective the idea of one man in the sky controlling our destiny? Many people think that's what it is, but that's not really what it is. Judaism believes in hardcore monotheism, which means there is not a man in the sky. Okay, When Judaism says that God is one, we don't mean that there's one God. We mean God is one, absolute oneness, that God is essentially all there is, the very fabric of reality. God is the only existence, and we all exist within God. Okay? So that's just a little Kabbalistic background here. But included in that is the idea that there's one force that's controlling all of reality. It's just that it's not a force that's outside of reality. It's a force that is reality itself. Okay, so one opinion says that Abraham found God at the age of three. Three years old. He was a very precocious, mature little kid, and he started asking questions about the nature of reality. Another opinion is that he found God at the age of 40. Big discrepancy. Which which was it? So the one of the great commentaries on the Torah explains that really Abraham began his journey at the age of three. At the age of three, he began to question reality. And he only came to the con the realization that there's one creator at the age of 40. But that whole time in between was counted as if he had already found God. Because when you're on a journey, the entire journey is part of the destination. It's not just when you get to the destination that you're there. The whole journey is part of your exploration. If you were on a true quest to find God and to find truth, you have already found him because God is infinite. That means every step closer is infinitely closer. You guys with me? So how did Abraham find God? The Talmud tells us that Abraham began by looking at astron astronomy. He began looking at the stars and the cosmos and he and began looking at nature. And he saw something 
that is almost impossible to miss. What what feeling do you feel when you look at nature? What do you feel that the overwhelming theme of nature is? Connectedness, harmony. He saw order and harmony. And he said, it's impossible that a world that is so structured with the spheres and the planets all in interconnection and all the animals and the cycle of life, it's impossible for such a structured universe to be random. And that, that's what the Talmud, and Talmud speaks it out in different ways, that he had a whole debate with the king about, he said, the king said, I worship the god of fire. And Abraham says, well, why don't you worship the god of water? Water puts out fire. He's like, all right, I worship the god of water. He's like, well, why don't you worship the god of sun? Sun evaporates water. He's like, okay, I worship the sun. He's like, well, what about, why don't you worship the clouds? The clouds cover the sun. He's like, okay, I worship the clouds. He's like, well, what about the wind? The wind blows the clouds. All right, I worship the, I worship the wind. He said, well, what about the mountain? The mountain stops the wind. He's like, all right, I will worship the mountain. He said, well, what about the ants? The ant eats a hole in the mountain. He's like, all right, I'm done. He's, I'm throwing you in a fire in a pit. He was, he was done with that argument. But Abraham saw that there, it's impossible that anything created is finite. Any being that exists within the spectrum of the universe is also has a beginning and therefore cannot be the creator. So Abraham said that which preceded the Big Bang, which is the beginning of space, time, and matter, I'm just putting into modern terminology, has to be beyond space, beyond time, and beyond matter. And Abraham came to the conclusion that there's one source for everything. And the Talmud actually tells us with a metaphor. It says that Abraham was compared to a person walking through the desert who saw a palace in the middle of the desert that was illuminated. And there's two different sources of this metaphor. One says the palace was illuminated, meaning it was lit up. And the other says that the palace was on fire. And Abraham said, how could there be an illuminated palace without an owner of the house? Or how could there be a house on fire and the owner of the house is not putting out the fire? And he said, there must be an owner of this house. And immediately God appeared to him. So I believe the, the message from that metaphor is that we, the world can be compared to a house. It's a structured environment. We live in a world with tremendous order. And the more we learn about DNA and the more we learn about string theory and quantum mechanics, the more we see that the universe is built with incredible systematic laws. How did all this come into being randomly? DNA is a language. It is the most complex language that we know. How can a language write itself? And that's exactly what Abraham concluded. Another deeper explanation is with the, going with the metaphor that the house is on fire. Abraham looked at the universe. He saw order. And then he saw one being which didn't fit with the order of the universe. Do you know what that one being is? Humans. How, Lauren, how do we not fit? Excellent. You see, it's this thing called the prefrontal cortex. Animals have something called instinct. An animal can never do evil. 
They can only do what they're programmed to do. See, we human beings, we have this advanced prefrontal cortex. We can think all sorts of abstract thoughts. And therefore, we can start to ask ourselves that the, the purpose of this thing actually overrides our instinct. So an animal doesn't wake up in the morning and say, hmm, what should I do with my life? Should I become a vegetarian? Should I become an artist? Should I join the theater? Should I go to college? What should I do with my life? An animal doesn't ask that question. And yet we, because we're so intellectually advanced, are so utterly confused. We have no idea what our job is in this world. And therefore, that, ex that confusion leads us to do incredible damage. So Avram said, saw there's one being that doesn't fit. We don't have a programmed instinct. And we're destroying the world. He said, why doesn't the master of the house put out the fire? And God's response to him was, it's your job to put out the fire. We need to teach human beings how to live. We need to teach human beings need to be taught how to connect to their purpose, how to find their soul and connect to their higher part, which is intrinsically connected to our purpose. So that was a little bit of the backstory. So let's try to unpack the rest of what's going on here. So Abraham begins to challenge the conventions of the society around him. Where does 99.9% .9 of the world get their values? Good. <laughs> Hollywood or any other form of brainwashing, right, before the present day. And probably not Hollywood anymore, Lionel. It's probably now, it's probably Instagram and TikTok for the newer generations, right? But people are literally brainwashed by their society values. 99.9% .9 of the world believes what they believe simply because that's what they were taught by their society or by what else? Friends or parents. 99.9% .9 and friends don't count because friends are also brainwashed by society. 99.9% .9 of the world does whatever they do, believes what they believe in because that's what they're told to believe. You live in America in 2023, so you think X, Y, and Z is meaningful. By the way, I just read a crazy article yesterday written by um, like a, a young girl, a young Jewish woman, well, I guess she's a college graduate now, about why her generation hates Jews and thinks it's okay to kill Jews. It was pretty, pretty intense. She said, because from a very early age in her high school, a progressive public school in Los Angeles and her college, she was taught about critical race theory, which teaches that oppressors are evil. And according to critical race theory, she said, if not for the Jews in her class, Jews would be considered oppressors. They didn't want to say it publicly in her class because there were a lot of Jews in the class. Jews are considered oppressors, and therefore we are evil, according to what people are being taught now in college. It's no wonder that, that the majority of younger people today think that Israel is in the wrong and that Hamas is justified in killing Jews. People are brainwashed. And don't think that you're any different. I'm not judging those people. I'm judging you also. <laughs> I'm judging myself. Heck, we're all the product of our environment unless you begin to ask questions. So the number one Jewish value that we get from Abraham is to challenge authority. You know, like, you ever heard of a religious fanatic? 
who who's the bigger what's what's another type of fanatic that you guys are all familiar with that has nothing to do with religion it has to do with a type of entertainment that people are into sunday afternoons what sports bingo what's a sports fan you know what the word fan means fanatic because it's insane. Just because you happen to be born in New York, you like a certain team, as if that team has anything to do with you, as if it has anything to do with your values. Somehow your team is better than the one that happens to wear different colors and come from a different city. In fact, the people on the team are not from your city. Sorry to break it. They have nothing to do with your city. The owner isn't even necessarily from your city. That's fanaticism. And the truth is, for most people, religion is the same way. Most people in the world in fact, billions of people in the world are willing to die and in many cases kill for their belief system just because of the coincidence of their birth, that they happen to be born on this side of the border instead of on the other side of the border. Had they been born on the other side of the border, would they kill themselves? Probably not. And yet somehow that they're born on this side, the Shiite side, instead of the Sunni side, or the Hindu side instead of the Muslim side, or the Gazan side instead of the Israeli side, changes their entire destiny? Does that make any sense? So Abraham says, you have to begin to challenge. Abraham, do you know what Abraham was called? Abraham was the first Jew. In the Torah, Jews are not called Jews. Do you know what Jews are called in the Torah? Two things, but children of Israel, or how do you say Hebrew in Hebrew? Or how do you say Jew in Russian? Same thing. Ivri. Ivri. Abraham was called Abraham Ha'ivri. The word Ivri is actually a Hebrew word, but it, it actually gave birth to an English word. The word Ivri means the same word as over, to cross over. In Hebrew, a sin is called an Avera because it's literally going over the line. So Abram was called the Ivri, it means the one from over there, because he crossed over from Iraq. Remember, he was born in Iraq. He crosses over the Tigris and Euphrates River and comes to the land of Israel. So he was called the guy from over there. But the Talmud says it doesn't mean that. The Talmud says it means the whole world believed about a certain understanding of reality, and Abraham crossed over to a completely different dimension, a completely different way of thinking about reality. So what the real difference is between idol worship and belief in monotheism and why that is the most profound theological and, and metaphysical change is not exactly for right now, but just simplifying things. In a world of polytheism, many gods, who makes your value system? Who determines your value system if you live in a world of many gods? What determines what's right and wrong? In fact, is there such a thing as right and wrong in a world with many gods? Many gods is no different than saying no gods. In a world of many gods, it means subjective morality. Everything is subjective. You have your god, I have my god. You ever hear someone? You ever hear this one? I'm sure you all heard this one. That's your truth. I have my own truth. 
That's a ridiculous statement, guys. Do you get that? If it's true, it's not yours and it's not mine. It's binding. It's objectively binding for all of us. The biggest lie in the postmodern world that we all live in is it's all relative. We can analyze Shakespeare and come up with whatever the heck we want. It's called postmodernism. Okay? We can come up with whatever we want. doesn't matter what Shakespeare had in mind. It's all up to us to determine whatever we feel. That is, it's great when it comes to analyzing art. You can interpret things however you want. But that's not great in analyzing reality. Because either we're here by accident or we're here with a purpose. Either the universe is floating on the back of a giant turtle. There was a big bang. Uh, or something else. Either when you die, nothing happens, you get eternal damnation, you sit on a cloud playing a harp, you get 72 virgins, but something happens after you die and someone's right and everyone else is wrong or everyone's wrong. Got it? That's the idea of objective reality is that there's a binding right and wrong in this world. Avram was called the one from over there because he was the first truth seeker the first person to come to the awareness on his own that there is one source of everything and one reality and one objective right and wrong. So the first step to following the footsteps of Abraham is to go and journey to the unknown. We do not know the destination. God says, just go. You don't have to find me. For, it took him 40 37 years to come to the reality of God. He started at the age of three. But the entire journey is a journey to truth. That is the message of what it means to be a Jew. To realize, in order to ask a question, what do you have to admit? Ignorance. You have to admit, I know nothing. The essence of true wisdom is knowing you know nothing. That's at the core of the first value given to the first Jew is you don't even know where you're going. The key is just to begin searching. So the truth is, is it, think about it. The, where is the journey to? Where are we going? It's the land where I will show you. Another way of, of, of reading that is to the land where I will appear to you. God says the journey is to find is to come to me, to come to awareness and recognition of the infinite. Well, if God is infinite, how far away from him are we? Infinitely far. But you know what? Every single day, I know more and more about God. So if tomorrow I'm going to know more about God than I knew today. So really, if I was smart, I would just realize that today I know nothing. Because the infinite is always infinitely far. But do you know what? If the infinite is always infinitely far, then every step I take, I'm also getting infinitely closer. So it's about that journey towards the infinite. Begin by challenging. Challenging the values of your society. The first message of the first Jew is the key to finding truth is you have to get away from everything. But Abraham already left his birthplace, last week's Torah portion. Not physically. It's not a physical journey. It's a spiritual journey. So if I'm beginning to break away from the valleys of my society, so the easiest thing to get away from is the thing that's farther from me. 
So the first thing I got to get away from is the values of my country. That's not so hard. We're talking about now, the, remember the verse is out of order, the GPS instructions out of order. Now we're understanding it. It's not talking about physical GPS, spiritual, intellectual GPS. First, get away from the values of your society. Then get away from the values of your father's house. And finally, get away from the values, I mean, of, the, of your birthplace. And finally, get away from the values of your, even your parents. Even if you're raised by good parents, you still have to ask yourself someday, is this true? And how do I know? So I want to conclude with one last amazing verse towards the end of this week's Parsha. I'm sharing it right now in the chat. God took Abraham out and he said, look at the heavens and count the stars if you can count them. So will be your children. So the Talmud says that there's an anomaly with the language here. It says God took Abraham out and he said, look at the stars. But the word that the Torah uses for look denotes, connotes looking down at something from above. So the Talmud says that God took Abraham out of the universe. And he said, look down at the universe. Look down at the stars. And the Talmud says, by the stars, he's referring to the zodiac, the constellations. We believe, this is another conversation for another time, but the Torah believes that the zodiac, the constellations, has power. Depending on when you were born, everyone is bound by a certain astrological reality that determines certain things about your personality and your life. God picked Abraham out above the constellations, and he said, so will be your children. That The Talmud concludes that the Jewish people are not bound by astrology. We are supernatural. Astrology is essentially your nature. Abraham's children are supernatural. And I want to share with you the meaning of why that is from another teaching from a great Hasidic master. If anyone's ever heard of the, the Daf Yomi. Daf Yomi is a program throughout the entire world where Jews all over the world learn one page of Talmud a day. The Talmud is extremely long. And if you learn one page a day, you finish in seven and a half years. We're actually celebrating next Shabbos having completed one half of the Talmud. So I started on this journey like uh, in January 1st, 2020. So we're literally a, a half of the way done with the Talmud. So the founder of the this, this amazing program where the whole learning one page of Talmud a day says as follows. God took Abraham out and he said, count the stars. And what did Abraham start doing? He started counting the stars. One, two, three, four, 500, 501, 7,000, 7, and then God stopped him. He said, okay, if you can. And then he said to him, so will be your children. He said, Abraham, you just attempted the impossible. It's impossible to count the stars, and yet you tried. That is the nature of the Jewish people. Your children will attempt the impossible. Your children will attempt to do things that nobody would ever think they could ever do. Coming out of a Holocaust to rebuild a whole country, a country that's at the forefront of everything in technology, and that's crazy. Most people would have given up. Your children are unstoppable. That is the secret of the Jewish people because, you know, we're born a certain way. We're born with a certain nature, whether you want to call it your DNA 
or your nurture, your familiar upbringing, or your zodiac. We're born with a nature. You ever heard a person say, listen, I'm just an angry person, just the way I am, or I'm just lazy. That's, that's, that's me. Nothing I can do about it. Or I grew up in a house where, where there was a lot of fighting. That's, just, that's the values I grew up with. Says the Torah, if you step out of your land, your birthplace, the fam your family values, your, nur your nurture, your birthplace, your DNA, your nature, a Jew can step out of their nature and become supernatural. If you attempt to overcome your nature and your nurture, if you attempt to transform yourself, you become supernatural and literally can change the world. That's the message of God to the first Jew. And that's a message for all of us for all eternity is that nothing can stop us when we attempt to transform our nature. When we attempt to do the supernatural, finding truth then we literally become unstoppable. And finally, last point, what's the goal of the journey? We said to find God, but it's even more simple. It says it in that first line, Lionel pointed out, Lech Lecha, go where? Where do we find God? Where's that place that God's going to show us? You know, the state of Israel is not really a, a land. It's a state. It's a state of mind. Israel is a state of mind. Rabbi Nachman, great Hasidic master, said, wherever I go, I'm going to Israel. It's a journey to yourself. Go to yourself. That's what God tells Abraham. The goal is to go into yourself to find the greatest revelation of God in this world is in your own backyard, literally within yourself. The soul is a piece of God. If we can journey into our true self, that's where we find the greatest revelation. We have to remember another thing. The purpose of the whole journey is for ourselves. The whole purpose of this entire creation is that we should enjoy the greatest pleasure, the greatest connection to the ultimate infinite source of our true self. The whole journey is for us. So that's, uh, that's a wrap. Uh, we should all be blessed to find our true selves. But more importantly than finding is search for our true selves. Search for our true selves and search for truth. And hopefully the two will meet at some point. Thank you.